Welcome to Get Over It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We are embarking on a great show today. We're going to be speaking with Bridget Shea, and her book is Cultivating Your Microbiome, Ayurvedic and Chinese Practices for a Healthy Gut and a Clear Mind. And folks, this book really provides a clear understanding of how our um, systems work in the body, how they either help or not help each other. And once you have an understanding of that, you can really start to map out a path of healing. So um, I was very excited when I read this book, and I'm even more excited to bring Bridget to you to share her information. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is a belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth, I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I also authored two books. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence, but they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, a master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist, so whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, and that's MoniqueChapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. My guest today, um, Bridget Shang, is a licensed acupuncturist and wellness educator who has been practicing traditional <clears throat> excuse me, healing modalities for more than 20 years. Her private practice is an integration of Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine, and she enjoys teaching workshops on Eastern wisdom. She's also the author of uh, Handbook of Chinese Medicine and Ayurveda, Ayurveda, and she lives in Saratoga Springs, New York, not too far from my original hometown. And you can check her out at her website, and that's BridgetShea.com, B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T-E-S-H-E-A.com. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's so great to have you. You know, when I um, agreed to, you know, receive a copy of the book, I didn't know what a microbiome was, okay, but it just sounded kind of interesting. And um, then I saw, oh, Ayurvedic and Chinese practices, well, hey, why not, you know, something different from allopathic medicine, and we could all use a lot of information. But girl, you really knocked it out of the park. You give detailed information on how the systems work together and even, you know, I had no idea that so many of the things that you talk about, we'll cover them in a few moments, um, truly help us 
in a non um, allopathic way so that we can truly heal our body. Um, folks, I tried a few things that she suggested in the book, and guess what? I'm feeling so much better. So this information works. I love that you give information. So let's start off. What is a microbiome? So the microbiome, generally speaking, is all of the little critters that reside in and on our bodies. So those little beings are bacteria, funguses, archaea, viruses, yeast. They're things that we would ordinarily think of as being pathogenic or wanting to sterilize ourselves from. But the truth of the matter is, that they are highly beneficial for us. And without them, not only could we not thrive, but we couldn't survive life on the planet. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when you said all those things, I was like, oh, okay, okay, yuck, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think most people don't believe that all of these things are alive um, on our body. So you talked about what what is a healthy microbiome. So right now, science is defining a healthy microbiome as one that is of great diversity. So it's not necessarily the numbers that you have of microbes in your system or on your body, but the diversity, the different types of microbes that you have in community in and on you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you have all of these things, in and on us, if we had a virus on our skin, wouldn't it be dangerous to somehow get it into our body, whether we're through our mouth or our skin or whatever, because we have poisonous skin, well, won't it seep through? Right. Well, it depends on, on what that virus is. So we have a lot of viruses and bacteria that live in and on us that in great quantity, if they were to overtake our beneficial microbes, would be considered pathogenic, like E. coli mm-hmm. or, or certain strains of staph. But in, kept in check, they might actually have some beneficial um, things to add to our physiology that we don't want to be without. So it can be a matter of quantity uh, over over whether they're there or not. We, we just don't want them in excessive quantity. And then if you have things like really virulent, potent viruses that can easily get through the, the defenses of the other members of our microbiome or through our immune system, then then those things can be an issue, like Ebola, for example, or, or a, a large dosage of coronavirus. But you know, in terms of generally speaking in everyday terms, we actually want to be exposing ourselves to regular quantities of microbes in our environment. So we want to get out of the house. We want to get into nature. We want to be breathing fresh air, be around trees and animals and pets and garden and things like that because Mm -hmm. that helps to replenish our beneficial microbes that actually help to train our immune system and enhance our immune system. Okay, so if we're out and we can get all of that, that's great. But what about being out during COVID? Because everybody is saying, you know, stay home. Right now, as we're recording this, the um, directive is six feet apart, wear the mask Mm -hmm. and all of that. So how can we 
stay healthier being outside during this time? Or is this truly a time to go inside and, and get air purifiers and whatever? I think if we are inside, it's not a bad idea to have air purifiers because mm-hmm. the more we're inside and the less we're at, interacting with fresh air, the more likely it is that things will get stagnant. And that's where even feng shui comes in and uh, principles of feng shui would be to have air circulating throughout the home. So the ancients recognized that proper ventilation is a must. So we want to have proper ventilation indoors. And then as far as like masking and staying apart, this is a temporary kind of blip in our in our experience. So, you know, it will pass that this is what we need to do. Um, but even while it's going on, many members of my community, most of my clients, myself, we're all getting outside as much as possible and keeping those, you know, social distance requirements and keeping the masks on, but still getting outside. You're still getting fresh air. You're still taking in things from the environment through, through the mask, around the mask and onto your skin, through your skin that you may not even know about. So it's really important to get outside, get fresh air, get some sunshine on your face. Okay, you know, every now and then I love to go outside when it's a windy day and I like the wind cleanse my body. Now I have on some clothes because I don't want to scare my neighbors if they peek over the fence. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I just stand out there with my um, legs, you know, spread and my arms spread and I just let the wind blow through and I feel so much better afterwards. It's mm. truly amazing. Now, um, in your book, you say that the mouth is a reflection of what is going on on in the rest of the body. What do you mean by that? So researchers have found that the health of the oral cavity is linked to the health of the gut microbiome and through that to the health of the rest of the body. In ancient medicine traditions, it's been handed down for thousands of years that the coating and the color of one's tongue is indicative of what's Mm -hmm. happening in the rest of the body. So the mouth can be a gauge for the overall health of the individual. Okay, so when you say the mouth is the gauge, are you talking about do you have cavities, the color of your teeth? Right. Um, if, yep. If, um, if you are prone to getting a lot of cavities, if your gums are inflamed, that usually means that there's extra heat or inflammation in the system. And what can that be caused by? It can be caused by or contributed to by overgrowth of pathogenic microbes in, in the mouth and mm-hmm. therefore also in the gut and sometimes even in the lungs because when we swallow some of that stuff down, it gets aspirated into the larger channels of the lungs, the bronchioles. And then um, the tongue body itself indicates whether there is heat or inflammation in the system, whether there's a Um, lack of quality of red blood cells, uh, and whether there is an overgrowth of microbes that may be inhibiting circulation or even creating brain fog. Oh, wow. Well, um, in the book, you do talk about how the tongue um, can affect the functioning of the mind. I mean, like dementia, Alzheimer's. Talk to us a little bit more about that, because, I mean, that's something that most people wouldn't even think about. Right. So what they found in, in, in some studies are that the, the microbe that um, is 
cause, it causes gingivitis, it, it secretes a, a, a substance that they found in the brains of people that are suffering with Alzheimer's. So what they found is that the substance helps to create the growth of amyloid plaques. And traditionally, in order to treat um, this, this microbe, people have been given antibiotics. But what they're finding is that they can find an inhibitor for the activity of this one particular substance that this microbe secretes to help stop the formation of those plaques, which is what causes the symptoms um, and signs of Alzheimer's disease. And that's just one example of what they're finding. And so, um, you know, from, like on a practical like uh, level where you can just look in the mirror and see your own tongue, if you see that, that there's a thick coating on your tongue, that tends to mean that there's a lot of AMA present in your system, or it means that there is either an overgrowth of, of um, less beneficial microbes or that there are the byproducts of cellular metabolism getting stuck in the tissues, maybe the, the connective tissue or somewhere in the interstitial fluid. And that is related to the quality of one's metabolism. And so therefore, uh, a Chinese medicine or an Ayurvedic practitioner may work on boosting somebody's metabolism to help clear that gunk up out of the system so that further imbalance doesn't occur. Okay, and folks, in her book, she shares a list of foods that will boost your metabolism. She leaves nothing to your imagination. It's all there in black <laughs> and white, so to speak, but it's so effective. Now, one more thing on the mouth. Um, you talk about using sesame seed and coconut oil for oil pulling. So I want you to explain that. But also, uh, what should we be using to brush our teeth with? Okay, so... Um, with regard to oil pulling, oil pulling is uh, a practice in um, Ayurvedic medicine, which is the traditional medicine system of India. And with oil pulling, what we do is we take a small bit of oil, usually sesame oil, and we swish it around the mouth for a couple of minutes and then spit it out. And then we, in, we grow that couple of minutes to expand to about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. every day. And what they found is that it reduces cavities and it helps to brighten the complexion. It helps to pull toxins from the um, surrounding tissue into the mouth for, for evacuation, which is through spitting. Um, and fat-soluble toxins because it's an oil. So a lot of people have kind of jumped on this bandwagon with oil pulling and are using just coconut oil and I encourage them if they, if they really feel like they need to use coconut oil to combine it with sesame oil because coconut oil in Ayurvedic terms is more congealing. And we don't want to, it's like putting ice on, on something that's chronic. Mm -hmm. You don't want to freeze it up. You want to loosen it up and melt it and, and so it can come out of the tissue. And so sesame oil is more warming and, and, and enhances that ability for the body to detox and also if somebody's practicing oil pulling and it's not feeling right to them, I encourage them to stop because there are um, instances where it is counterindicated, like if someone has an abscess, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the deal with oil pulling. And the other thing is that um, most natural substances, things that are not processed um, or refined, those types of things tend to be really great food for the beneficial microbes in our bodies. So 
the sesame oil actually serves as a food for the beneficial microbes that keep the oral mucosa and the teeth healthy. Hmm. Um, yeah, and it's not necessarily the fact that people eat too much sugar that cause the cavities that, that they may get. It is actually an imbalance in the, uh, the flora in the mouth that is allowing for those cavities to emerge. <clears throat> okay. Folks, we're speaking with Bridget Shea. Her book is Cultivating Your Microbiome, Ayurvedic and Chinese Practices for a Healthy Gut and a Clear Mind. You can check her out at her website. That's BridgetShea.com, B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T-E-S-H-E-A.com. So, Bridget, I want to go a bit lower in our system, and I want to talk about our digestive system. Um, In your book, um, pretty early on, you talk about the leaky gut and that the leaky gut might happen in other parts of the body. Now, we've all heard the term leaky gut. We might not understand it, but how does a leaky gut happen in other parts of the body? First, explain what it is, and then how does it happen in other parts of the body? So leaky gut is basically increased gut wall permeability. So what that means is that the epithelial cells, the types of cells that line the interior of your gastrointestinal tube, that those cells are normally in a healthy individual held together quite tightly. So the junctions between them are just like smooshed together so particles can't get through in between them into the lymphatics or immune areas of the gut. Mm-hmm. So, so if that junction is intact and there's a nice thick mucosal lining for all the beneficial microbes to live that can block out pathogens from harming the epithelial cells, then that's great. But what happens is because of stress or a poor diet or there can be any number of contributing factors. Everyone is completely different. Um, That gut wall can get compromised. So the mucosal lining can start to not be the greatest environment. So I call it the Goldilocks gut. We want the mucosal lining to be not too dry, not too moist, not too oxygen rich in some places, um, not too lacking in oxygen in others. We want it to be just right so that our beneficial gut microbes can thrive so that they can protect the gut lining itself and keep us healthy and also to produce metabolites that we need for other organ systems in the body to function ideally. And so when there is some kind of a breakdown in that mucosal lining, whether it's because it gets too dry or it gets too Mm -hmm. thinned out for whatever reason, then those cells that line the gut wall are not adequately protected and nourished and moistened and held, and they can start to move apart from one another. And so when that happens, things that normally wouldn't get through in such great quantities into the lymphatics and the immune tissue underlying those epithelial cells will get through. And then the immune system can get overwhelmed with this. So if you've got like little proteins from the foods you eat and some microbes that shouldn't get through and stuff keeps coming and coming and coming, then, you, then you're dealing with a situation where you've got chronically inflamed gut lining and that chronic inflammation then triggers and can trigger an overall autoimmune response. And that's when the body starts to recognize that even things that are part of the body 
are invaders and will attack mm-hmm. even our own tissues. And so once it gets to that point, things are harder to reverse. So what we want to do is try to recognize early on when someone is compromised with the signs and symptoms that they're experiencing, say, in their bowel movements on a regular basis or with gas and bloating or with reflux or with anxiety and and look at the gut health of that individual and try to encourage that gut wall to be more healthy so that it's a better environment for the microbes that sustain us and so that we are overall more healthy and robust. Okay, so in that case, should we be taking prebiotics and probiotics? So probiotics are basically organisms, live organisms that medical researchers have recognized have a positive influence on our bodies and our minds. And they naturally occur in the body, and we are naturally feeding them whenever we're eating whole foods and especially fibrous foods. So our good gut microbes love high fiber. So that doesn't necessarily mean to just take some psyllium husk and, like, eat a keto diet or something. What it means Mm -hmm. is to have a great variety and diversity of whole foods in our, in our diets and not leaving out any food groups unless medically necessary so that we can feed the greatest diversity of good microbes in the gut. And that's what prebiotic means. Prebiotic is the food for our naturally occurring probiotics, the microbes that naturally live inside of us. And so we can take probiotics, but if one is not suffering from any skin issues or joint aches or digestive concerns or, you know, just feels pretty healthy overall, then there's no reason to start taking probiotics. Um, Yeah, but it depends on the situation. If someone has small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, we don't necessarily want to give them too many prebiotics or too many probiotics, if any at all, because that can actually exacerbate that condition. So it's always good to talk with a practitioner who knows about gut health before really diving into any one protocol. Yeah, you might do yourself more harm than your intended good. Um, now, we're, you know, smack dab in the middle of COVID and, you know, st- states are opening up and people are doing whatever they want to do. But one of the symptoms of um, at least the long haulers of COVID is lack of taste. And in your book, you talk mm-hmm. about um, how taste in digestion is combined So talk to us more about that, because I think that uh, a lot of people don't even realize. Right. So when, when we, as Westerners, look at a healthy diet, what we're looking at is the food pyramid that's been put out, uh, you know, with so many grains and so much meat and all that. But from an Eastern standpoint, they look at taste. So Uh they look at incorporating each of the tastes into every meal, sweet, sour, salty, pungent, astringent, bitter, all of the tastes. And um, so you'll see, like, if you've ever gone to a restaurant that serves Indian cuisine, for example, you'll see that they they have pickled things and then they have, um, like, a little bit of yogurt and then they'll have many different types of vegetables and seasonings. And all of those things are, are there on the plate or there at the buffet 
for Mm -hmm. you to be able to get all of the five tastes in each meal. And so each taste is stimulating to certain fluids in the body and certain organ functions. And so what a, a traditional medicine practitioner can do is they can alter the amount of taste in a, in a client's body. They can alter the amount of how much of one taste someone is getting or mm-hmm. not getting to affect uh, a positive result in their physiology. Okay. Now, the one thing you talked about in my book, which actually just blew me away, and that is phlegm. You call phlegm um, misting of the mind. So talk to us about that in mental, um, regarding mental and emotional imbalances. Yeah. So like when the metabolism is out of whack and it doesn't have to be like our gut digesting things, it can be even cellular metabolism, when any aspect of our metabolism goes off balance, from an Eastern medicine perspective, we don't look at the body and the mind as separate entities. We Uh look at how they affect each other and how influencing one can affect the other. So they're a whole. So when we look at an organ, for example, we don't just look at the liver. We look at how much one person is experiencing on one end of the spectrum, inability to go with the flow in life, and at the other end of the spectrum, perhaps rage outbursts or a lot of anger and irritation and frustration. Because Mm -hmm. those things, those um, emotional states and states of being are direct reflection from an Eastern medicine standpoint on the healthy functioning of that organ system. And each organ system has different emotional states associated with it. So if any aspect of the metabolism is out of balance, then there can be this accumulation of what we might refer to more as phlegm, um, but is called ama in in, um, Ayurvedic medicine. It's called dampness or phlegm in Chinese medicine. And it's phlegm missing the mind that they're experiencing. When someone is um, suffering from a diagnosed mental, like a whole salt, It's sodium chloride, not just the sodium. A lot of times what happens is in the Western diet, people will end up ingesting a lot of sodium. And that's Mm -hmm. actually not good for the gut microbiome. What we want is to have sodium chloride. And the salts that provide that are more natural. Himalayan salt, rock salt, um, even some sea salt is good. But I tend to lean toward Himalayan salt. And that's what I recommend for most of my clients. Does the Himalayan salt or the black salt that you talk about, the black Himalayan salt, um, Mm. have a different taste? And should we use less, more? Um, The average daily intake suggested, I think, is about 1,500. I can't remember exactly, but I think that's what it is. Uh So um, that's something that can be looked up online to see how many milligrams that you're getting. Um, But, you know, when you taste it, like if if you've ever had like a canned soup or something, sometimes it Uh doesn't actually taste or feel like there's a lot of salt in it. Um, But when you look at the label, it's like 39% (laughs) of what your daily allowance is. And that's because the chloride isn't in it. And the chloride is what gives it that salty flavor that, like we mentioned before, with the taste, is necessary for certain aspects of our microbiome and of our 
um, of our tissues for nourishment. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I want to switch gears to another hot topic that, you know, people are all up in arms about, and that's the oils that we use. Um, A lot of people say, well, olive oil is good. Um, I actually had a doctor tell me, you know, hey, Monique, use canola oil in your cooking. And in your book, you say canola is a big no-no. Talk to us about that. And then what type of oil, if any, should we be using? Right. So canola, canola oil, generally speaking, is incredibly processed. And it's made um, from a plant that has been used to create, like, oil for lubricating machine parts. Um, mm-hmm. And canola oil might be low in saturated fat, but it's not low in irritation to the gut lining. And... Um, so it's, it's really heavily processed. And generally speaking, in, in traditional medicine, we, we try to stay away from things that are overly processed. So if it's in a box or a can or prepared, chances are, you know, you want to try and avoid it. And uh-huh. so canola oil can be irritating to the gut lining. I, I have clients that have that direct experience. And um, so I do recommend people have um, olive oil. I think it's a really great oil, especially if it's prepared well, and mm-hmm. that they avoid vegetable oils that are, re- that are overly processed, like canola and cottonseed and things like that. Um, I have clients that actually have physical reactions that they recognize from those things because they're at a point where their sensitivity level is so high. And so if you, you know, we, none of us want to get to that point, where we're sensitive to to too many things. So Mm -hmm. you want to start to take these things out that you know can be irritants, you know, sooner than later so that there aren't issues that develop. But, you know, canola oil was heavily marketed for some time. And like you said, it's still recommended, but um, I don't recommend it because I recognize it as a heavily processed food. Okay. So if what oil should we be using besides... um Olive oil, say, you know, I know frying isn't healthy, but if you want to fry something. Right. Um, so you can use you... olive oil. Ghee is great. Ghee is clarified uh-huh. butter, and uh-huh. it has a really rich, luxurious flavor to it, and it also has a very high heating temperature. Okay. So we yeah. can just use some ghee. Um, I want to back up and talk about something that you had mentioned earlier. Um, and, you know, autoimmune disease and inflammation. Once, I mean, there's so many people that have an abundance of inflammation in their body today. Is there any way to reverse that tide? I think that we can definitely take the edge off, and I have seen it reverse in people. It, it takes a lot of dedication and diligence. It takes paying attention to one's body and following very simple traditional guidelines that maybe your great-grandmother may have, have uh, recommended to you, eating mm-hmm. at certain times of the day, not eating at others, um, having, generally speaking, whole cooked meals, not eating raw foods all the time, not omitting food groups that you don't need to omit unless it's medically necessary, getting adequate sleep, getting adequate fresh water, getting fresh air and exercise. These are all things that are part of the lifestyle. In ancient Greece, where the word diet comes from, they had a word diata, and it meant anything that you do 
and a diet was only prescribed for people that were sick. And so that that's like a very different um, context than the word we use today. Mm-hmm. You know, today a, a diet is something that gets, you know, some people are going through, di- you know, diet to diet to diet, and, and there's really not even anything that, that's wrong with them, really. And so, um, so it's best not to diet unless you actually have to, and to instead focus on lifestyle and being more in harmony with your natural rhythms and the natural rhythms of nature and the seasons. Okay. Now, when we go to your website, BridgetShea.com, what are we going to find there besides your books? (laughs) Well, you'll find my books. You'll find my upcoming events. So I have a seasonal cleanse I do every spring and fall. Mm -hmm. And then immediately following the seasonal cleanse, I have a 21-day Ayurvedic lifestyle challenge, which is a support for people that do want to try incorporating more natural um, rhythms into their daily life. And I also offer ongoing meditation classes and energy medicine classes. And um, I'm working on a line of healing jewelry that will be up there soon. So there's lots of really helpful stuff. And then um, also I have a YouTube channel for Ageless Healing Arts. And I post um, little informative videos about tongue scraping is one and um, I also have some meditations up there some guided meditations so those have been Mm -hmm. helpful for people okay now you mentioned the cleanse which is actually in process um, as we are speaking right now Um, can someone still join the cleanse at this point um, as of the 31st of uh, March and then do the 21 day challenge or do you have to do the cleanse first I'm flexible with the way people do that. Um, so it is possible since it's still going to be like close to springtime for them to start the cleanse at that time. And mm-hmm. then um, do, they could even do the challenge at the same time and integrate them both or do the cleanse after. It's really a matter of preference. But I'm really flexible with when people do the cleanse around that um, equinox because, you know, you might have like a major event you're going to go to and you want to eat everything on the buffet and so that's not a great time if it falls back in the middle of the cleanse exactly yeah so I work with people with that and again there'll be another one in the fall so that's always an option too okay well folks check it out I'm very interested in 21 day challenge that starts um what April 8th through April 23rd and that's available online correct correct everything's online right now because of COVID yeah and, um, you know, folks, you have a wonderful opportunity to, you know, like heal yourself. And at the very least, go check out um, the blog that she has. She has a wonderful blog on um, salt, sodium, and the microbiome that will open your eyes, to say the least. And then you can also check out what she has to say about the coronavirus. Um, Bridget, our time has gone so quickly, and I truly appreciate every ounce of information that you've shared with us. What parting pearl of wisdom would you like to leave with the audience today? I would like to just tell people to, to pay attention to that little nudge you get, to that odd craving for something that you don't usually eat if you're walking through the farmer's market or the grocery store and something catches your eye in the produce section, try it out. You know, those little 
those little hints and nudges we get kind of beneath our ordinary uh, awareness are oftentimes messages that our body is sending us to help keep us balanced. And listening to those, listening to yourself, if you feel like the latest superfood trend is not right for you, then then you, you're probably right. So I mm-hmm. always encourage people to listen to that little inner voice because it's really powerful and it is trying to guide us toward well-being. Okay, very well said. Well, Bridget, thank you for your time and your attention today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Oh, you're welcome. And to the audience, thank you for (laughs) joining us. And everybody, I want you to remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of cultivating your microbiome. Abundant blessings, light, and love to all. Agape.